The 100th Quack Cast. 100 Quack Casts on the wall. Take one down and pass it around. 99 Quack Casts on the wall. This actually is labeled the 100th. I don't think it's actually the 100th. The counting scheme is all messed up. But we'll say it's the 100th. A nice round number. This one is called Protect Yourself. Flu season is upon us. If there is such a thing as flu season, H1N1 started at the furthest point in time you could get from the traditional start of the flu season. It is an interesting question as to whether global warming will alter the flu season as it has the RSV, respiratory syncytial virus, season. Classically, influenza is a fall-winter disease and September 21st, fall started. It is perhaps worthwhile to review what is known about influenza. 1. The disease influenza, the gasping oppression, I do love that term, is a disease that has been plaguing humans for about 500 years. It is a predominantly respiratory infection, causing a protracted cough with fevers and severe myalgias. The term flu is used loosely to describe almost any febrile illness, and I remain uncertain as to what stomach flu might be. How does your stomach cough? I tend towards the picky side. Flu is due to the influenza virus. There are many viri. If the plural of Elvis is Elvi, then the plural of virus should be viri. That can cause a flu-like illness. But only influenza virus causes flu. 2. The flu is caused by a virus, the influenza virus, and there is influenza A and B and C. There are them what deny germs as a cause of disease, but I will freely admit that as an infectious disease doctor, I have a vested interest in the idea that germs cause disease. After all, my job is simple. Me find bug, me kill bug, me go home. 3. Not every flu-like illness is due to the influenza virus. In a given season, and it varies from season to season, the influenza virus may account for around 10 to 15% of flu-like illness in the community, although during epidemics, influenza can account for 60% or more of flu-like illnesses. 4. Influenza kills. It kills directly. It kills by secondary infections. It kills by worsening underlying diseases like heart failure. It kills long-term by increasing vascular events such as heart attacks and stroke. Influenza kills the young, the old, the obese, and the pregnant. Deaths from influenza also depend on the virulence of the circulating strains. Some strains, such as H5N1, the bird flu, or H3N2, are more likely to kill. 60% of those who get acute H5N1 may die of the disease. And strains like H1N1, which was of moderate virulence, causes less deaths. Influenza deaths, both direct and indirect, are difficult to measure and are at best an estimate. As an example, somewhere between 151,000 and 575,000 people died worldwide from H1N1 in its first year. The mean was about 250,000. That's a lot of people. 5. When exposed to influenza, either as an infection or as a vaccine, the body responds in part by making antibody. 
Roughly, the better the antibody response to the influenza antigens, the better the protection to that strain of influenza. I say roughly because not only does it depend upon the amount of antibody you make to the antigen, but what part of the antigenic structure the body responds to. Antibody to some antigenic sites offer better protection to influenza than others. If you are lucky enough to respond to some highly conserved areas on the virus, you could conceivably become immune to all strains of influenza. And they're working on a universal flu vaccine. That would be hog heaven. 6. The influenza virus offers moderate protection against influenza. Unfortunately, the antigens of the virus change from year to year, antigenic drift, and decade to decade, antigenic shift. While the vaccine strains are fixed prior to a given season and may not optimally match the circulating strains or, worst case scenario, miss them entirely. If there is a good match between the vaccine and the circulating strains in a healthy population, the protection from the vaccine can be high. For H1N1, it was 87%. 7. Unfortunately, those who most need to be protected from the influenza virus are those most likely not to respond to the vaccine. The obese, the pregnant, the elderly, and those with chronic medical conditions. 8. The benefit of the vaccine extends beyond prevention of flu. Of course, if you don't get influenza, you can't spread it to others. If you do not get influenza, then of course you can't die of its complications, like pneumonia or heart attack. Influenza vaccine could potentially reduce the occurrence of sudden death, acute myocardial infarction, and stroke by 50% in some estimates. Babies born to vaccinated mothers have fewer cases of influenza, and vaccinated mothers are less likely to have stillborn or small babies. Not getting influenza or being vaccinated against flu has many short-term and long-term benefits. 9. Influenza spread can be decreased by mechanical and environmental interventions such as hand washing and masks, although these interventions have variable efficacy depending on the population studied. They are not as effective as not getting the virus. 10. Healthcare workers are particularly problematic. For a variety of reasons, they are likely to come to work ill. Influenza can potentially be infectious before people are symptomatic, and spread occurs in the hospital, leading to true stories such as this. Quote, Patient story, spreading the flu, for 2012. As a reminder, we have added patient stories to meetings as a way of bringing the patient into the room, clarifying the context for our quality plan, and emphasizing the complexities and importance of the work we are undertaking. Today's story is about a group of patients, a nurse, and influenza. It starts with patient number one, a 57-year-old woman admitted through the emergency department of one of our hospitals in mid-March with fever and shortness of breath. She was transferred to an inpatient unit with a mask on, which triggered the staff on the receiving unit to implement droplet precautions. Initially thought to have pneumonia, testing confirmed her symptoms were the result of influenza A, H1N1. After four nights in the hospital, she was discharged home after an uneventful hospital stay, and she received a flu shot. Patient number two 
next door to patient number one is a 58-year-old man who was admitted in March for a GI bleed with multiple comorbidities. His progress was steady until nine days after admission when he developed a new fever and respiratory symptoms. His symptoms developed on the same day of patient one's admission. Influenza was suspected two days following the development of his fevers and staff implemented droplet precautions. Lab testing confirmed influenza A. He remained hospitalized for two more days and received a flu shot before being transferred to a skilled nursing facility. Down the hall, patient number three, a 77-year-old man, was admitted two days after patient number one for acute stroke and urinary tract infection. On day three of his hospitalization, he developed a cough and fever. Lab testing confirmed influenza type A. Droplet precautions were ordered in the lab test for influenza, and he remained hospitalized an additional four nights and received a flu shot before being discharged. Patient number four, a 76-year-old man down the hall from the first two patients and around the corner from patient number three, was admitted on the same day of patient number one following a fainting event at home. Due to his long-standing heart issues, he was kept overnight for observation and discharged the following morning. However, he returned to the ED three days later with continued symptoms. He was discharged from the ED only to return the next day with shortness of breath. Six hours after being readmitted, the staff suspected influenza and ordered droplet precautions. His lab returned positive for influenza type A. After spending three nights in the hospital, he was discharged home after receiving a flu shot. The following day, he was admitted to the intensive care unit and continued treatment as an inpatient for secondary pneumonia, a complication of his influenza type A infection. The fifth person in our story is a nurse on the unit where these four patients were admitted. She works on a nursing unit whose hand hygiene performance is currently 67% and where 85% of the unit staff were vaccinated for this year's seasonal flu. The particular nurse in this case, however, was one of only nine on the unit who chose not to be vaccinated. Her manager stated the reason the nurse gave for not receiving the vaccine was she was, quote, not convinced of the evidence that the vaccine protects patients from transmission. She said she would get the vaccine if she truly believed it protected her patients, but she didn't, end quote. The nurse cared for patient one on the first day of admission. She cared for patient two on the eighth and ninth day when he developed flu symptoms of his stay. She also cared for patient number three on the first two days of his inpatient stay. There does not appear to be any direct contact with this nurse and patient number four. The nurse in our story developed symptoms consistent with influenza three days after working with patient one and patient two, which is the usual one to four day incubation period for influenza. Due to symptoms, she only worked a partial shift that day. Suspecting her symptoms may be influenza, she used a mask until release staff was available. She returned home and was able to care for herself without medical intervention. She was not tested for influenza and remained off work for one week. She is still undecided about receiving the flu vaccine, end of quote. This is a typical messy epidemiologic study in the hospital, but it would appear that this nurse was responsible for spreading flu to at least two patients in the hospital. Although it wasn't a slam dunk, it was strongly suspicious. 11. Because those in the hospital are particularly vulnerable to the ravages of infection, mortality from hospital-acquired influenza is remarkably high, somewhere around 25% in most studies. 
So if you acquire influenza in the hospital, you have a 1 in 4 chance of dying. 12. Influenza vaccine is safe as well as effective. There have been some rare complications to the vaccine, Guillain-Barre in the 70s, and the recent reports that prior vaccination may have made the disease from H1N1 worse. And there are still the unexplained cases of narcolepsy in a few patients only in the Scandinavian countries. But biologic systems are complex. I look at vaccines as much safer than, say, seatbelts and airbags, both of which can cause injury and death. I would still prefer to be in a car accident with seatbelts, actually be a car accident with another car, and airbags and work during the flu season with vaccination. 13. Influenza vaccine for healthcare workers runs at best 70% in the United States, which if it were my kid's math grade, there'd be some splaining to do. Doctors and nurses run a bit higher with about an 80% influenza vaccination rate in some institutions. Barely a B. 14. It would be nice to prevent the spread of influenza from healthcare workers to patients. There is no data for hospitals, although there are nursing home studies that suggest when the staff is vaccinated against influenza, there is a decrease in influenza in the inmates, I mean um, nursing home patients. One retrospective study suggested that units that had a higher vaccination rates had fewer cases of influenza, but the definitive study has yet to be done. There is buckets and buckets of biologic plausibility to suggest that vaccinating healthcare workers would be of benefit to the patients under their care. 15. I have little, actually, I have none, respect for healthcare workers who do not get vaccinated. I think. We have a professional and moral obligation to place our patients first. I think those who do not get vaccinated, except for a minority with a valid allergy, are dumbasses. Okay, you've probably heard this before, but here is my yearly screed over at Medscape. This essay is, I would like to clarify, directed at healthcare providers, not patients. Healthcare providers have no excuse to avoid the flu vaccine. They have access to the world's medical knowledge and should be able to rise above superstition and ignorance. Yeah, I'm a dumbass, but for different reasons. So I give you, slightly rewritten for 2012, a budget of dumbasses. I wonder, are you one of those dumbasses who do not get the flu shot each year? Yeah, dumbass. Big D, big A. You may be allergic to the vaccine, most are not when tested. You may have had Guillain-Barre. Most can be vaccinated safely. But in those cases, I will catch you some slack. But if you don't have any of those conditions and you work in healthcare and you don't get a vaccine for one of the following reasons, you are a dumbass. One, the vaccine gives me the flu. Dumbass. It's a killed vaccine. It can't give you influenza. It is impossible to get influenza from the killed influenza vaccine. Two, I never get the flu, so I don't need the vaccine. Irresponsible dumbass. I have never had a head-on collision, but I wear my seatbelt. And you probably don't wear a condom either. So far, you have been lucky, and you are a potential winner of the Darwin Award. Although, since you probably don't use a condom, you are still, unfortunately, in the gene pool. 
three. Only old people get the flu. Selfish dumbass. Influenza can infect anybody. And the groups who are more likely to die from influenza every year, the young, the obese, the pregnant, the elderly. Often those most at risk for dying from influenza are the least able, due to age or underlying diseases, to respond to the vaccine. You can help prevent your old, sickly grandmother or your newborn daughter from getting influenza by getting the vaccine. So you don't get the flu and pass it on to them. Duh. Flu, by the way, is highly contagious with 20 to 50% of contacts with an index case getting influenza. However, as I think about it, Granny may be sitting on a fortune that will come to you with her death. And killing her off with influenza is a great way to get her out of the way and never be caught. That would make a good episode of CSI. Four, I can prevent influenza or treat it by taking echinacea, vitamin C, vitamin D, oscilococcinum, or airborne. Gullible dumbass cubed, then squared. None of those concoctions have any efficacy against influenza whatsoever. And if you think oscilococcinum has any efficacy, I would like you to invest in a perpetual motion machine that I have invented. None of the above can prevent or treat influenza. And by the way, you can't boost your immune system. Anyone who suggests otherwise wants your money not to improve your health. Five, influenza isn't all that bad a disease. Underestimating dumbass. Part of the problem with the term flu is that it is used both as a generic term for damn near any viral illness with a fever and is also used for the severe viral pneumonia. Medical people are just as inaccurate about using the term as the general public. The influenza virus, directly and indirectly, kills maybe 20,000 people a year, depending on the year and the strain, and it leads to hospitalization of about 200,000 people each year in the United States. Influenza is a nasty viral pneumonia. And what is stomach flu? No such thing. Six, I am not at risk for flu, denying dumbass. If you breathe, you are at risk for influenza. Here are the groups of people who should not get the flu vaccine, outside of people with severe adverse reactions to the vaccine. Former President Clinton, who evidently doesn't inhale, and Michelle Bachman. Wait, that's the HPV vaccine. And people who are safe from zombies. If you don't get the vaccine, you don't have to worry about the zombie apocalypse. Zombies eat brains. 7. The vaccine is worse than the disease. Dumbass and a wimp. What a combination. Your mother must be proud. Perhaps you think a sore deltoid for a day is too priced to pay to prevent two weeks of high fevers, muscle aches, intractable cough, and then passing it on to someone else who it might kill. 8. I had the vaccine last year, so I don't need it this year. Uneducated dumbass. Each year, new strains of influenza circulate across the world. Last year's vaccine, at best, provides only partial protection. Every year, you need a new shot. Or in England, you need a new jab. Which is worse, by the way, a shot or a jab? I'd rather have a shot than a jab, but maybe that's just my culture. Nine, the vaccine costs too much. 
cheap dumbass. The vaccine costs less than a funeral, less than Tamiflu, and a lot less than a week in the hospital. 10. I received the vaccine and I got the flu anyway. Inexact dumbass. The vaccine is not perfect and you may have indeed had the flu. More likely you had one of the many other viruses. Or should it be viri? The plural of Elvis is Elvi, so the plural of virus should be viri. But maybe you got one of the other viri people get each year with flu. Remember, there are dozens of potential causes of respiratory infection circulating, and the vaccine only covers influenza, which accounts between 5 and 15% of flu-like illnesses. And it is the virus that is most likely to kill you and yours. 11. I don't believe in the flu vaccine. Superstitious, pre-modern, magical thinking, dumbass. What is there to believe in? Belief is what you do when there is no data. Probably don't believe in gravity or germ theory either. Everyone, I suppose, has to believe in something. And I believe I will have a beer. 12. I will wait until I have symptoms and stay home. Dangerous dumbass. Despite often coming to work ill, especially second-year residents, about one in five cases of influenza are subclinical, and hospitalized patients are more susceptible to acquiring influenza from healthcare workers than from the general population. And 27% of nosocomially acquired H1N1 died. That's right, died. And you will never realize that you were the one responsible for killing the patient by passing on the flu. 13. The flu vaccine is not safe and has not been evaluated for safety. Computer illiterate dumbass. There are over 1,342 references on the PubMeds on the safety of the flu vaccine. The vaccine usually causes only short-term mild reactions. Now, all healthcare requires weighing the risks of an intervention against the benefits. For the flu vaccine, all the data suggests huge benefit with negligible risk. As a healthcare worker, it could be argued that we have a moral responsibility to maximize the safety of our patients. 14. The government puts tracking nanobots in the vaccines as well as RFID chips as part of the mark of the beast. And the vaccine doesn't work since it's all part of a big government-sponsored conspiracy to keep Americans ill, fill hospital beds, line the pockets of big pharma and inject the American sheeple with exotic new infections in an attempt to control population growth and help usher in a new world order. Well, that excuse is at least reasonable. Paranoid dumbass. So get the vaccine and pass this essay on to someone else instead of the flu. The life you may save may well be your own. Or instead, be a dumbass. End of Medscape. 15. And this leads to my final thought. There is a tremendous amount of medical literature pointing to the safety and wide-ranging benefits of the influenza vaccine, as well as the morbidity and mortality that influenza inflicts on humans every year. Despite that information, when you admit it to the hospital, you have a greater than one in three chance that the healthcare worker taking care of you is ignoring that information and going unvaccinated. I have long been of the opinion that you judge a person by the company they keep. Probably explains why I have no company. 
If your healthcare worker is a big enough dumbass to avoid the flu vaccine, what other areas of medicine are they equally incompetent in? Do you want to drive a car with no seatbelts or airbag whose brakes are of uncertain maintenance? Do you want you or your loved ones to be cared for by someone who is dumb enough not to get the flu vaccine, putting you and yours at risk when you are most vulnerable? Can you expect that person to do the rest of their job correctly when they cannot understand and implement a core competency of medicine? Not me. So here's my suggestion. When you or yours are in the clinic or the hospital, request care only from practitioners that have had the flu vaccine. Put a sign on your hospital door. No entry unless you are influenza vaccinated. Or put a copy of this essay on the door. You do have the right to refuse care, especially care from a dumbass. Now, I know this idea is a non-starter. Sick, vulnerable people are in no condition to potentially antagonize their providers. No one is likely to want to piss off their health care worker, especially if that person holds the key to the morphine. There is a bankrupt idea that it is okay for patients to ask their provider if they wash their hands. It never work. I took an informer poll of the patients on one of my medical floors and asked if they would ever tell their doctor or nurse to wash their hands, and not a one said they would. They did not want to anger their provider. It would be not unlike having to ask your pilot if he put the wheels down as they started landing. Patients need to trust that we are doing what is in their best interests. When it comes to influenza vaccine, if you're a patient, you can't. I do not really expect anyone will actually ask to be cared for only by vaccinated providers. But I can dream. And that brings us to the end of the 100th QuackCast. A hundred. Amazing. You can find my growing multimedia empire at edgydoc.com, the new name for my website. I may have mentioned that my son always says, oh, you're being edgy, Dad. So I thought, eh. I'm going to be edgydoc.com just to irritate my son. And it worked. See you next time for the 101st and all binary Gobbit Opus.